Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. This is Fred Kumalo of City Press and we're talking on this podcast. Beautiful thing about books and it's called Books and Beverages. So in studio today we are uh, honored to have uh, one of the most celebrated authors on the African continent, Veronique Tejo. Veronique is a novelist, a poet, and an academic. She settles between South Africa, France, and uh, Ivory Coast, Côte d'Ivoire. Veronique, we are honored to have you here. The last time we interacted, um, the two of us, was a long time ago. So now I'm sitting here with City Press, editing a book's section for City Press, and we have just started this initiative called Books and Beverages, an initiative that we are trying to promote uh, books through, fiction, non-fiction, whatever, because we need to read. So we are honored to have you here. Obviously, we're going to talk about your new book, In the Company of Men. Let's start with the book, yes. What inspired this book? This book is about a very tragic subject, um, sickness, Ebola in particular, how it uh, devastated communities on our continent. What triggered this particular book? And we can go back to the other uh, subjects that you have dealt with through your uh, novels, through your uh, poems, uh, and the academic work that you do. Tell us about this book. What triggered it? What inspired it? First of all, thank you, Fred, for having me. And I'm very happy about this initiative to make us read and to make uh, more and more people uh, read. I think it's very, very important. Um, and also, literature helps us to communicate through borders. You know, we can, we can then talk. And uh, this is important to, to share ideas. So thank you for having me. Um, in fact, uh, I was in South Africa. I was still living in South Africa and teaching at Wits University yes, yes. Uh -huh, when a strange uh, sickness uh, uh, broke out in, in Guinea. Uh, it was like um, the end of 2013. And I wasn't particularly concerned about it because uh, I thought it was an endemic disease that would find a cure uh, yes. quickly. But uh, as uh, time went on, it turned out that uh, they finally identified the, the disease and it came from uh, the Ebola virus, which you normally find in the DRC, uh -huh. so mm, Central mm, Africa, mm, mm. So, which is quite a long way because Guinea is in, uh, in West, the West Africa. Africa yes, right. Yes, yes. And uh, as time went on, it, you know, the disease progressed uh, to uh, Sierra Leone and um, Liberia. So, you see, I'm from Côte d'Ivoire, which means I'm from the region. I'm from the West African mm, region. Mm. So, of course, I was extremely concerned by what was happening. And I remember I went to uh, visit uh, my family and friends in Côte d'Ivoire, in Abidjan, uh, at some point after... Uh, the uh, disease had been identified, and everybody was very, very, very tense. I mean, people were not shaking hands anymore. Uh, they were washing their hands in a chlorine solution and, uh, you know, before entering public areas. No bushmeat, 
which mm. is a delicacy. Yeah, yeah, I know. I <laughs> no, know. no more. Uh, and and just people were tense because Cote d'Ivoire shares a, a border with Guinea in the north, in the north and yes, with yes. Liberia uh, in the west. Mm. So, you know, people were like, this is going to come, you know, because there's so many links between those countries. I mean, we talk of borders, but in fact, there's a lot of family links, a lot commercial, of trade, yes, yeah, commercial. Yes, yeah. So there's movements. Mm. So everybody was very tense. And then I came back to to Joburg and decided to continue researching. You know, to to really gather information about what was uh, happening. So that's that's what I did: gather information, gather information. It became a it became a bit obsessive, uh -huh. but uh, it was only when the epidemic was contained in uh, 2016 that the idea of writing a book came to me. Okay. Uh -huh. okay. But by that time, I had left South Africa yes. and I was living in London. Okay. So in okay. fact, uh, that's where I I I, I wrote uh, I wrote the the book when uh, a publisher accepted my my proposal. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, because you see, what struck me was the fact that uh, uh, the disease, I mean, the epidemic had been intensively uh, followed, covered. There was an intensive coverage, a very traumatic coverage because the way it was covered was really shameful for the whole uh, continent. Mm. And, uh, and, and then, as soon as the epidemic was contained, there was some sort of a silence, a blanket of silence, sure. as if sure. nothing had happened. Yes. Yes. And I thought, am I, <laughs> am I dreaming? <laughs> and then we had another epidemic yes. of bigger proportions now. Yeah. Yeah. But we yeah. didn't know at the time. Yes. Yes, of course. Of because course, in, yes, in, yes. in fact, the book that I wrote uh, came out in 2017 in, in, in French. Oh, okay. And so okay. it was published in yes. 2017. Okay. It's only the translation that came, that out, came later, out later yes. during COVID. Yes. Yeah, but yes. at the time I had no idea that COVID was coming. No, but, but it's very in instructive that reading the book today, as a person who's just gone through um, COVID and so on, it's very apt that uh, the commentary that you make mm -hmm. uh, in this story uh, resonates with people who have been exposed to, to, to COVID because it's epidemic, it's sickness. It's, uh, and again, it's about how we as humans um, take nature for granted. Mm -hmm. We take nature for granted we abuse nature. Uh, uh, I like how you've done uh, this story. Um, oh, for the benefit of our listeners at home, the, the novel is um, told through the perspective of, of a tree, the baobab tree, because it is wise, it is ageless, it has witnessed so many things. So the story is being told by this tree, which is very wise. And uh, it's a very beautiful critique uh, of how we as human beings interact with nature and we take it for granted, we abuse nature, and it's a beautiful critique. Why did you choose um, the tree as, as your narrator? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've just said, you know, the tree is a tree which has a, a, a norm, uh, which is noble. It's a noble tree. Yes. Uh, it, it's a tree that is, uh, can be centuries old. 
uh -huh, and it's also a life-giving tree. But really, uh, as I said, when once I decided that I wanted to write about the Ebola e epidemic because I thought we needed to continue the conversation, uh -huh, um, it was like I was left like, how do I do it now? Uh -huh. And I've always been attracted by oral tradition. Yes, yes. It's, it's been, you know, I, I lived in, in Côte d'Ivoire, therefore I heard a lot of uh, oral tradition, uh, tales, and also great, great, great authors have uh, written in that style. Yes. You know, say Leopold Serdar Senghor, Biragou Diop, uh, you know, you naming Ampateba, um, all these people have used, uh, have been inspired by oral tradition. Yes. So it's always attracted me. And so I thought, I, I'm going to tell the story by using oral tradition. And the beauty of oral tradition is that it has a lot of freedom. It gives you amazing freedom. Yes. You can use music, you can use poetry, you can use um, political language if you want, you can use uh, history. You know, you do what you want. It's a, it's a very flexible uh, type of, uh, of style. Yes. So, and also, most important, it, uh, it uh, nature talks, animals talk, and human beings interact uh, with them. It's, so man is not this on top of it. Yes, yes. yes. Man is in nature yes. and part of nature. Yes. You see, it's just part of the whole system, life system. So. That was like <laughs> fantastic for me because then I could give the point of view, a strong environmental point of view through yes. the uh, tree, the baobab tree, and then let human voices express themselves and also the animals express themselves. You're based in London. Uh, how does, as, as a writer, being there in, a, mm -hmm. in another country that mm -hmm. is not your country impact? on your writing, if at all. Yeah, no, definitely. It has an impact. But uh, the lucky thing was that all my research was done on the continent. And uh, it was only, uh, and then also I do a, a lot of back and forth. And to tell you the truth, being, you know, uh, able to just isolate myself and work is, was an advantage in this, uh, in this uh, instance. Uh, so, but uh, it's true, uh, when you're looking at the, I think sometimes it's not that bad to look at the continent with a bit of distance. Yeah. Uh, yeah because yeah. sometimes you see things that maybe people don't see. Uh, because I, when I go back to Abidjan, for example, I can see how difficult it is to extract yourself from the, the reality mm, uh, yeah. around you. You, you. you can be easily buried by, you know, too much politics, uh, too much hassle, too much something. So sometimes you, you go and you <laughs> absorb, and then, then when you go away, you can process uh, things. Yeah, so there's, there are advantages and disadvantages. Mm. What are the disadvantages? It's, it's being, feeling that you're being cut off, and that uh, uh, you maybe... Hmm, how can I say? Yeah, the story is, 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 is not totally... Yeah, you, 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 you lack uh, a certain substance in the story. Uh -huh. The day-to-day. -day. Yes. The day-to-day. -day. 
you have, you have, you are kind of cut, cut off from, from the day-to-day Exactly. It's, it's the yeah. day-to-day reality. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And also uh, maybe cut off from how people experience the reality. Uh, because you, you, that's right, yeah. Whereas uh, when you go back, for example, and you start talking again, it's, it's, you can see it's, it's different. You can hear it. Because when, when, when there's something traumatic that happens, uh, people don't tell you immediately. You know, you say, hi, how are you? Yeah, that's fine. Then. fine Everything yeah, is fine. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's yeah. only after a while that it, it, yes. it starts coming and you start <clears throat> understanding what people have been through. Um, you, you lived in South Africa for, for many years, uh, yeah. teaching adverts and writing and being a judge, a literary judge, um, contests and so on. Now that you've been away for, for a few years, what do you see that we don't see in South Africa? From a political perspective, from, from a literary perspective, whatever perspective, what do you see that maybe we don't see as South Africans? Because we are so consumed with things that are happening to us to our country, to, to our environment and so on. What do you see as a person based in London? What do you see and what's your perspective? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always difficult to come back to a place where you have lived for many years yes. because you're trying to see again what you used to experience and then you see change and, 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 and change uh, kind of uh, disrupts your, 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 your vision. And, but what I can see is that uh, problems or issues that I saw when I was uh, living here have not gone the way they should have gone, or I was hoping. Yes. I was hoping that certain things would be solved by now, <clears throat> because it's been seven years, I've been away for seven years. So, yes, yes, so yes. that, for me, like things like security would have been better, like uh, power cuts would have not yes, happened yes, again, yes, yes, or, yes, or, or, you know, water cuts, you know, all these things would have been solved. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Also... Because seven years is a long time. It's yeah. a long time. Yeah. And also that politically, that the country would be stable and people would be happy with the way uh, things were going. And I unfortunately see that this is not the case, that people are very anguished, and wondering uh, about the future. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. So, uh, or if you see for something instances of, of corruption or mismanagement, it, it, it breaks your heart because I know that uh, South Africa is a big country, uh, a, a huge country, and so we, we, we want it to succeed very much. Mm. But uh, for the moment, I'm a bit perplexed and uh, wondering left wondering, yeah, what is going to happen. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone is anxious because uh, we really, uh, yeah, we consent. Uh, the trajectory of things, yeah. Uh-huh. But, yeah. but COVID has, has come also, and yes. COVID has created havoc yes. in the whole world. The economy and... and oh, la, la. So even even in, the, in the UK, yes. the inflation is, is like out of control. And there is a form of poverty that we didn't uh, know before, that didn't happen. And even uh, I can see that uh, the UK that I used to know is not the same today. Yes. Yeah, and there's been yes. Brexit, yes. so there's a lot of uh, changes. And also there's a lot of crises in government all over the world. Yes. You know, yes. that yes. people are kind of losing faith in government. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And then there's a rise of nationalism. Exactly. Xenophobia all over. Yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's, a, it's a general yeah. crisis. Yeah. But yeah. then when you come to a particular country, you can observe it and see how it manifests itself. Yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's so much potential in South Africa that uh, you really want it to, to, to go the, the right way. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, George Orwell said something very interesting. Well, he says um, when he approaches a story, he's inspired by a sense of injustice, something or some, uh, some unjust act has been committed. And uh, he feels that as a writer, he needs to redress, to, to comment or to, yeah, to bring light to whatever crisis it is. Uh, is, it, is that how you approach your writing as well? What inspires you to write? Yeah, it, yeah. it really resonates uh, with me, what you've just uh, mm. said about, uh, mm. yeah. Orwell's view of uh, why we write. Why we write, yes. yes, yes. A sense of injustice, totally, totally. Mm. I, I totally agree. And uh, in the environmental sector, for example, it's, it's, it's obvious. I mean, people often say, uh, look, we, 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 we did not do uh, much damage to the, to the environment. Africa is not the big culprit. We know that the West did it. The crisis comes from the West. Yes. yes, but once you've said that, you are living in a crisis as well. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. yes and yes, especially yes. because most of our governments have um, chosen to follow a neoliberal type of development, yes. which is based on the extraction of resources, natural resources. So, in fact, when you, when you look, for example, in, in West Africa, uh, deforestation is massive uh, because you cut the forest in mm. order to have palm so oil, t- timber, yeah, timber and, palm oil, yes, uh, yes, rubber, yes, yeah, and, yeah. and so, you know, it's, it's just... <laughs> that's what... And also mining. Mining is, 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 it does a lot of damage to the environment. Mm. And with mining, official mining, commercial mining, you have illegal mining. And so the use of chemicals and all that. So we can't extract ourselves. I mean, we can't remove ourselves from the problem. Yes, yes. We are living the problem as well. We can't say, well, yeah. the West started yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, you've done it, so... Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, well, what can we do? Yeah. yeah now we yeah, we yes, we, we yes. need as well. Yes. So we have to also find solutions to 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 this. It's unjust. I agree. Yes. But we we're there. So look at oil. You know, exploitation of oil in uh, in Nigeria, for example, the damage that it has done to the environment, uh, and and also to the uh, balance of of the of the country of the economy. You know, we've. Scandals after scandals of corruption, etc., and the money is not even going to the people. You yes, understand? Yes, so, yes. so a lot of things like that. Okay. Yes, it's unjust, but somehow we also have to find a way of getting out of it. Okay, great, great. And um, we've seen a lot of African writers making great strides internationally. One of our own won a Nobel uh, um, Prize and a Booker and so many, so many things happening on our literature as, as, as a continent. 
do you think uh, we have arrived <laughs> as a continent or do you think uh, we've just started starting out? <laughs> I, I, I want to laugh when you say we have arrived. Arrived where? <laughs> on the international stage. <laughs> no, 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 no. But there's, 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 there's something that's, that's not quite right when you look at it like that. Yeah. Uh, because in <laughs> fact, what we're doing, basically, is feeding the Western uh, publishing we, industry. We, we need to be validated by them. <laughs> yes, I know, that's the sad thing. You need to be validated yes, and then go back home and yes, then people yes, take yes. you seriously. Yes. But the truth is that we're feeding the, the, the Western uh, uh, publishing industry. Uh -huh. yes, and yes, so you yes. have to ask yourself, what are we doing to grow our own readership? Exactly. Where is the African mm. Nobel Prize yeah, that's grown on the continent? Yes. You have to grow your own readership exactly. because then you yeah. become strong. Uh, and, and for example, I think South Africa does that fairly well, uh -huh, except the price of the books. Yeah, all, yeah, I yeah. think they are all too expensive, still Very too expensive. expensive. So expensive. how yeah. can you uh, uh, grow a readership if people uh, have to think twice yeah. or three times yeah. or four yeah. times yeah. before they buy a book? Exactly. So it's a problem. It's a problem. I mean, uh, 300 rand, yeah. you think, oh, how many loaves of bread can Ex I get? Well, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. There could be an alternative which would be better libraries. That would be good if you had in every school a good library, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know things like that. There, there, there could be another way of doing it, but for the moment, it's difficult. Sure, I think sure. it's difficult. Uh, yeah. But we need to grow our readership because, well, if we become strong on the continent, people will come here to 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 to, to get us, rather than us going exactly. there to to be. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. we set our own terms as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Sure. So, sure. so I think it's the way to look at it. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. So you write primarily in French. And yeah. Then, and then they they translate. Mm -hmm. okay. And I, I collaborate a lot with the translations in English. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's usually okay. a, a, a collaboration. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah, okay. So, in your long journey as as a writer, um, I know it's it's going to be an unfair question. Mm -hmm. Which is your favorite book so far? That I have written. Yes. <laughs> you you know how it is. It's like having a family, having children. It's always the last one, <laughs> the young one. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the young one. Yes. yes, uh, yes. Uh, otherwise, I've, I've I've started with poetry, and I will always be a poet. So that's uh, that's close to my to my heart. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Great. Great. Uh -huh. So in London, what are you doing there in London? I'm doing lots of things, you know. I'm, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm writing. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm learning. I'm observing. I'm, Are you teaching there at all? I teach, but not in a, in a, in an institution. I teach seminars, like for example, if I'm invited to a university, uh, like the other time at, you okay. know, Rutgers University, for example, I, I, I teach a seminar and then I come back. I'm not keen on administration. Okay. 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 Great. <laughs> No, thank you very much. It's an honor, a great honor to have you here with City Press. Is there anything that you would like to say to your, to your readers out there um, mm -hmm. about your book, about mm -hmm. literature in general? 
as a yeah. closing statement. Yeah, as I said, it's, it's very it's very important to to read so we can have a a, 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 a bigger conversation. Uh, it's, it's it's very interesting. You, I think, literature has the um, a certain quality of 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 putting problems in a different perspective, throwing a different light. And so it's, 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 it's better to, to try and understand uh, uh, a deeper uh, view of what is, is happening, uh -huh. uh, instead of just relying on, on quick, quick uh, takes from, uh, sorry, from the media. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, once again, listeners out there, the book is called In the Company of Men. The author is Veronique Tejo, and uh, she was uh, she's our guest, a second guest in the series called uh, Books and Beverages under City Press. My name is Fred Kumalo. Thank you very much. Keep visiting us. <laughs>